Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. Please join me in welcoming and thanking new patrons. Hannah Ode, Devin, Bridget Goff, Kendall Lipinski, Kayla Lipinski, Merck the Blue, and Renee Ely. To see how you can support the podcast and get rewarded with early commercial-free access to all episodes, including the 31 Days of Horror, weekly bonus episodes, immediate access to over 600 Patreon-exclusive episodes, and more, please check out our donation tiers at patreon.com creepypod. Can you believe we're already at the halfway point in the month? Don't worry, it's still a whole lot of scares and plenty of hours of stories to go. Just wanted to take a second to thank you all for listening. We love this time of year, but it's a lot of work. So seeing how much people look forward to us doing this really does mean a lot. Okay, enough of me. Now. This is Creepy. A podcast dedicated to sharing the most famous, chilling, and disturbing creepypastas and urban legends in the world. Whether these stories truly happened or are simply fabrications is for you to decide. These stories may contain graphic depictions of violence and explicit language. Listener discretion is advised. Creepy Presents the 31 Days of Horror, Day 17, Trapped Underwater, written by Steve is Amanda. Is everyone packed and ready to go? We leave in five minutes. So take your last minute bathroom breaks because once we're on the road, we're not stopping until we make it to campsite. Finally, a vacation. I haven't had a vacation in about three years, and it is time. All work and no play don't work for me. The family and I decided to rent this very unique cabin. One of a kind. It takes months of planning to make it work. Plus the reservation six months in advance and the security deposit. But it was well worth the wait. The cabin in question? Well, it's in the middle of a beautiful lake. The cabin itself is a mix of rustic meets modern. I'm not sure how that works, but the pictures of it are gorgeous. But the most amazing part of the cabin is, it's underwater. So you have to take a boat out to the landing. The top part of the cabin, the part above the water, is more like a foyer. That's where the scuba equipment's at. Kind of like a lobby, but it'll just be my family in it. It has a small kitchen and living room area. There's a double door that opens right up to the lake. And it is secluded. They take one boat there to drop us off. But there's another boat there in case of emergencies that we can use. The best part of the whole cabin is the underwater part. In the middle of the lobby area, there's a hole 
and has a small staircase that leads into the water. From there, a small landing to get suited up and scuba down to the actual cabin. The swim's a couple of minutes if you have experience in diving. Hey guys, we're here. Wake up. Honey, I'm going to go check in and let them know we're ready to head to the cabin. Boys, stretch your legs. Take a pee break, then get ready. All right, let's go. The receptionist area was nice. Clean. I get where the rustic part comes in. There was a giant taxidermist bear sitting in the corner. The wall was covered in dead animals. Not really my type of decor. But it looks nice in the building. I went up, checked in. They said to be ready in 15 minutes. They gave me several giant plastic bags to put our bags in. Waterproof. Perfect. They said to meet at the docks when we get them in and we'll be off. Boys, put our bags, electronics, and anything else you don't want wet in these, please. Henry, no, you can't put your brother in the bag. No, because I said no. The drive to the cabin was nice. It's far in the mountains, about a six-hour drive through winding roads and trees taller than I've ever seen. But the fresh, cool air was amazing. You just take a deep breath and already feel relaxed. I never could find anything more relaxing than the smell of cool, fresh pine air. The lake itself isn't a big lake, but it is by no means a small lake. I wouldn't want to get stuck in the middle of the lake without a boat. Take hours to get back to shore. I can swim, but I'm not an Olympic swimmer, so it would take a while. Hunt, can you grab the boys and get them to the boat? I'll grab the bags. Uh, yes, sir. We are ready. Just rounding up the kids and we're good to go. How long does it take to make it to the topside cabin? Oh, that's not very long. Perfect. At the cabin land site, there's a main lobby building where you check in. And off to the right and left, there's a couple of dirt roads leading to other campsites that are located on the ground. There's only one water cabin, which is why it takes so long to get a reservation. In the talk of amenities, there's a bathroom with two showers, and that's it. Other than that, it's pretty much just like camping. The area we're at is covered with trees. If you were to fly above, you'd have no idea there's a campsite here. Everything's just hidden by the trees. Absolutely wonderful. All right, guys, we're here. Everyone grab your bags. Get off the boat, please. Oh, no, we're good. You said Jason will take us down? Great. Thank you so much. To make this trip possible, one of the requirements is to take a scuba diving class. We had to take so many hours to get approved for this cabin. Mainly it's for safety. So if the lead person that takes us down to the cabin isn't available for whatever reason, we'd be capable of making it back up without them. We all passed and got approved for it. Okay. Is everyone ready? Henry? Matthew? You guys ready? <laughs> Don't worry, honey. It's just like the scuba diving we did before. But we're just going down a little to the cabin. Take a deep breath, all right? The swim down was amazing. It was something else to see a fully lit up building on the bottom of the lake. And that was where we were going to sleep for the next few days. The dive was kind of eerie. Very quiet little dark. The lake we're at isn't one of those crystal clear lakes. Looks pretty much like any other kind of lake. Darkish water, cold. Didn't see many fish as we were going down. Maybe one or two, but that was about it. The kids seemed fine all the way down. 
There was a hatch near the top of the cabin that we went in, and once everyone was in, they cleared the water out, and Jason gave us the grand tour. Taught us all the ins and outs we needed to know. Showed us all the important information we needed to have a safe and fun stay. Once we got in and he explained everything we needed to know, it felt a lot safer. Not gonna lie, I was worried we might mess something up and we were drowned. But Jason walked us through some fail-safes to make sure that wouldn't happen. Morning, guys. How'd you sleep? Yeah, it was a little weird, right? Feels different sleeping underwater. Cold. What? No, I didn't hear anything. Slept like a log. The first night was great. We got to the cabin, took off our gear, and unpacked our bags. The view was fantastic. When you get to the cabin, you have the first landing where you take off your gear. Then there's a bulkhead door you walk through, which leads to a hallway that goes straight to the living room. In the room, there's this big reinforced window with a view of the lake. It was kind of unsettling to see into the water and the lights that are underwater light up the window. But past that, it's just darkness. At night, it was pitch black. You couldn't see anything past the lights. But in the morning, you could see the sun light up the lake a little. The view you could see wasn't far, but it was a once-in-the-lifetime view. The color of the lake was a mix of dark and light green. When you look up, it gets lighter and you can see the shimmer of the sun peeking through. And we were able to see a lot more fish swimming by. Hey, why don't you go check out the game room and see what's in there? Explore a little bit, boys. But don't leave the bulkhead, all right? In the living room, there is a moderate-sized kitchen with a full fridge and stove. A part of the package is a fully stocked fridge. We just selected the kind of food we'd like to eat, and they brought it down. I think most of the power comes from the solar panels on the top part of the cabin. One thing they stated was to make sure to conserve power, mainly just turn lights off that we weren't using. From the left of the living room kitchen area is a game room and theater room. There aren't any TVs or electronic games in there, mainly just a variety of board and card games. The theater room is a projector on the wall connected to a computer that has movies saved on it, and you just select what you want. Hey, hun, did you hear that? That noise. From the right of the living rooms to bedrooms. There are two, a master bedroom and a decent-sized second bedroom with two twin beds. From the bedrooms is a bathroom with a full, big bathtub and walk-in shower. The bathroom was bigger than the one we had at home. The bath itself was relaxing. We took a romantic bath after the kids went to bed. So far, number one on the vacation list. Uh, did the lights just go out? No, the lights in the front, by the living room. Yeah, they went out. It's completely dark out there. Did we use too much power? I'll try to phone Jason and check on that. Our second night was great. We went up top and went for a swim in the beautiful lake, an amazingly warm sun. The boys enjoyed themselves. There were these floaters we could use, and we took the opportunity while the kids swam to sunbathe for hours. Maybe a couple hours too long because we got pretty burnt. I talked to Jason. He said the lights out front were no problem. They sometimes go out on their own. They'd had some problems with the lights, but it wasn't anything to be concerned about. After our swim, we dived back down to the cabin and made an amazing Italian dinner and watched a couple movies. 
One thing the cabin people didn't mention was how much creaking there was, and I hadn't thought of that either. Makes sense of being underwater that the building would creak. It's metal, and we're underwater. But it would have been nice if they'd mentioned it. It scared the crap out of us the first time we heard a huge creak. Hey, hey, wake up! Wake up! I heard something. No, no, it came from the bulkhead, I think. I don't know. It just sounded like something opened the door. Fuck no, it was not the building settling. I think I know what a door opening sounds like. Fine, I'll check it out. No, no, go back to sleep. You need your rest. I had this feeling the third night. I don't know how to explain it, just a unsettling feeling. Feeling like we're being watched. Like you know when you're home and it starts to get dark and your blinds are wide open? You can't see anything outside, but but anyone outside can see into your house clear as day. The lights in the front never came back on, so it's just pitch black outside. The only thing we could see was the occasional fish that swam right in front of the window. That's it. We hadn't been back up top since the day before. Decided to spend the day in the cabin, getting the full effect of it. Part of me felt a little claustrophobic. But I seemed to work through that with a couple of deep breaths. Boys, they seem fine. They like to pretend they're in a submarine. It's been great watching them play. It's so dark in here. You should be here with me. I fear I have to check this sound out myself. Wait. Why is there water on the floor? Boys? Boys, are you in your room? Jason came by earlier today to check in on us. To make sure we were finding our way through the cabin all right. Also to see if we needed anything. I told him we were great. Asked about the noise. Creaking of the building and he reassured me that it was normal and not to fret about it. Boys? Henry, Matthew, where are you? Hun, Hun, wake up! The boys aren't in their room. I don't know. I don't know. They aren't in their room. Where are they? One of the best parts of the trip is it's around my favorite holiday. Not only is the underwater cabin the highlight of this trip, but it's also Halloween. So the drive up was beautiful. All the leaves were a mix of yellow, oranges, and reds. The air was crisp and refreshing. The long driveway up to the lobby area was covered in pumpkins and jack-o'-lanterns. They had those crazy fake skeletons covering the driveway, and the crazy part, they were in the water too. The skeletons floated in the water and were being held down by these chains that went all the way to the bottom of the lake. Imagine in the movies, where there's a submarine and they're traversing the open water, and then there were those underwater mines floating. Those big spiked mines that barely tapped it explode. That's what the lake looked like, but instead of mines, are these skeletons. It was a surreal experience. From inside the cabin, you couldn't really see them. Only on a bright day, we'd see some in the distance. Oh my god. Oh my god. The boys. The boys are outside. I don't know. I don't know how wh- who, who could do this. I found my boys. They were outside the cabin. Henry and Matthew were outside, underwater, in front of the living room, 
They were tied to chains, floating in the water. There was blood pooling around them and their stomachs were ripped open. I could see their intestines floating around in the water still connected to them. Like something, someone ripped them open and pulled them out. My son's eyes were missing. They were just black holes where their beautiful big blue eyes were. Henry's left arm was missing. Looked like it was torn off, his skin shreds. Matthew's throat was ripped open and his jaw was missing. Who could do this to my boys? My boys. My children. Who did this? What was that noise? What is that noise? We heard the bulkhead door open and close. In the distance, we could see glowing yellow, hateful eyes looking back at us. There was a clicking noise and a low growl coming from the door. The growling came closer to us and we backed into the front window, peering back at our children floating dead in the water. Whatever was in front of us walked, but it walked with a soaking wet sound. Like when you jump into water with all your clothes and shoes on and you're dripping wet. Every step you take, water just gushes out of them, leaving a soaking shoe print. What is that? Baby? I'm so scared. What is that? It stopped barely in the living room, with the light from the bedroom glazing over its face. It was covered in scales and had what looked like fins coming from its neck. And its hands and feet were webbed. The teeth were sharp and jagged. It was still covered in blood and flesh seeped from its mouth. It made the lowest growl and charged at my wife, slamming her to the ground and ripping out her throat. Baby, no! Oh, God! It tore her neck apart, tearing apart her face, digging its nails into her eyes and devouring them. When I knew she was gone, I took the only chance I had and ran for the door. Grabbing the bulkhead door and trying to turn the handle was the hardest. It was covered in some kind of slime. I looked behind me and saw the creature standing over her corpse, staring me dead in the eyes. I could see his eyes narrow, and it growled in my direction. I got the door unlocked and slipped in as the creature ran up slamming in the door as I closed it. I turned the handle and locked it in place. I knew I didn't have time to suit up, so I opened the overflow and waited for the room to fill with water so I could swim to the surface. The water quickly filled the room. It was freezing. I looked back at the door and the creature was pounding, growling so loud it filled the room I was in with an echoing, blood-curdling screech. Oh my god, please, no. Please, I don't want to die. I took one final breath as the water covered my head, and I looked back one more time before opening the outside door. The creature was nowhere in sight. I didn't have time to think about where it went. I pushed the door open and started to swim to the surface. I couldn't see anything. Everything was dark and empty. I swam as fast as I could to the surface, and I could see the glint of the moon on the surface of the water. That's when I heard this continued clicking coming from under me. 
As my hands reached the surface and my lungs begged for air, the sharp pain shattered my leg. I screamed, but it was muffled from the water. I kept pushing up and finally made it to the surface as my lungs burned for air. I grabbed the staircase handle and pulled myself out of the water, screaming for my injury. I looked down only to see my leg was missing. I dragged myself across the lobby to the phone hall for help, but as I made my way to it, I heard the same sound from below. Slapping of wet, soaked feet and a clicking sound. No. Please. It crouched to the ground and growled at me, slowly making its way back to the water and disappearing. I reached for the phone and called the lobby. Jason said in an emergency to call the lobby because the emergency number doesn't work from this phone. Jason, please help. They're gone. Please. Eventually, Jason showed up. He tended to my wounds, wrapping a tourniquet to my leg to stop the bleeding. Then he told me the worst news. The creature was early. What? What do you mean it's too early? You knew what was in the water? My family! It killed my family! Jason then grabbed a chain, wrapping it around my neck and chaining me to the staircase handle. He said it wasn't done eating and that he was sorry, but it had to be done. I asked what he meant, but he didn't answer. I now know what those skeletons are. They're not decorations. He said it shouldn't be long now. Jason, God damn it! Don't leave me! Please, please, I don't want to die! Jason! Jason! The blood from my leg was dripping in the water. I could hear the creature swimming below me, growling. I took the tourniquet off my leg in hopes of bleeding out before it can get me. But I don't think it will. I hear it climbing up the stairs, growling. I look behind me and the creature's face is against mine. Its teeth soaked in blood and its lips snarling. The last thing I saw was the death that filled the creature's yellow eyes. No! Hello, Bill Band here from the All 80s Movies Podcast to tell you about Factor Meals. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 and use code 80smovies50 to get 50% off. That's code 80smovies50 at factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 to get your 50% off today. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. 
Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. For your bonus episode, Creepy Presents, Now I Know. Written by Brian Maycock and narrated by Owen McCune. The house was a mess. Tangled weeds covered the garden. Leaves blown in by the autumn wind lay scattered here and there. I opened the gate and stepped onto the path. It was late afternoon and I had left work early. The realtor had explained over the phone earlier that it was best to view the property while there was still daylight. They had added that the new owner would need to arrange for the electricity to be reconnected. I looked up at the house, smiled wryly as I remembered this, and thought, it needs a lot more than electricity. Cracks trickled through the facade, and the paint had peeled away in as many places as it remained. The windows were caked in dirt. The gutters were blocked with vegetation. I stood there for a moment, wondering if there was another way. As far as the realtor was concerned, I could just turn around and walk away and tell them the property wasn't for me. I breathed out. It was a bright, cold day, and my breath frosted in the air. I needed to look inside. There were no keys for the property. The realtor had sounded embarrassed when they told me this. As I turned the front door handle, I almost felt sorry for them, having this place on their books. It had been advertised on their website as a development opportunity, with the size and square feet of the property and the grounds highlighted along with its peaceful location on the outskirts of a small town. The not very subtle subtext was that if you knocked it down and started again, then there was potential. I pushed the front door, stepped inside. The air was musty and actually tasted kind of solid. There was so much dust. I spluttered and put my hand over my nose and mouth, blinked a few times to try and clear my eyes, which were stinging. Even though it was still light outside, it was too dark to make out much inside. I turned on the torch on my phone and held it up. The wooden panels of the hallway stretched out in front of me. A candelabra, a real honest-to-goodness candelabra, dangled down from the ceiling. Spider's webs dressed the curving metal in gray. I drew in a breath between my fingers. My apartment was bright and modern. It was two hours' drive away. I could be back there, relaxing on the couch, maybe after checking any urgent work emails. I was happy there. I had made a good life for myself. Away from this place. Another few minutes, I told myself. Then I was out of there. I moved down the hallway. Out of the corner of my eye, I could see movements, bugs scurrying out of my way. How long do bugs live for? This question flitted through my mind. A few days? A few months? It had been almost 20 years since anyone had set foot in here, I was pretty sure of that. So, none of the bugs had ever seen a human being before. Their fear of us must be deep-wired, I figured. Then, I realized I was at the end of the hallway. 
there was a passage to the right and the left, and just ahead, a little alcove where there was a door. Turn around, I told myself. Go home. Stop freaking out the bugs. Stop freaking yourself out. No. I had come this far, and the ghost that had drawn me here was too near now. It was within reach on the other side of that doorway. I began to shake, and all of a sudden, I did not feel like a 30-year-old IT manager with a health care plan and an on-and-off relationship with a colleague and all the other things that made me an adult. I opened the door, and I started to descend the steps, and I was a child again. A frightened kid who was never going to admit they were scared, because that was not cool. The others would laugh at me and call me names, and in my 12-year-old's mind, there was nothing worse. It was Halloween, and trick-or-treating had been lame as always. We'd done the rounds of the houses in town, and even when we tipped our bags out into one pile, the candy we'd got was not enough. Some of it was stale as well. (laughs) How could candy go off? Cheapskates. I'd heard my dad use that word when he was checking the new window that had been put into the kitchen of our house. He was red in the face and was going to phone the person who'd fitted the window. My mom was following him. She did not look very happy either. I repeated my new word and looked around at the others, hoping to see how great they thought it was. They just looked bored, though. Then Billy piped up with an idea. It was the best idea ever. We should go see if we could find anything more exciting in the old house. The freaky abandoned building on the edge of town that had always been forbidden. But we weren't little children anymore who were frightened of things that went bump in the night. We were 12, and six months in my case. We abandoned our pile of empty wrappers and set off. It was me, Billy, Millie, and Ben. The gang. We had 50 minutes left before we needed to be back home, apart from Ben. He did not have a curfew. Ben was lucky. His mom had left his dad, who spent every evening getting drunk, and Ben could do what he wanted. Billy led the way. He was the youngest, but it had been his idea, so he was allowed. I was behind him. Ben and Millie dragged their feet behind me. Soon the house was looming out of the ground ahead of us, like a rickety old tombstone. That was how I wanted to describe the house to the others, but I was nervous they would think it was a stupid thing to say, so I kept my mouth shut. The front door opened way easier than any of us thought it would. Billy hesitated then, and Ben called him a coward. I thought that was mean. Now, we were actually here. This place was seriously scary close up, and I would have been happy to turn around and go home. But then I would have been a coward as well. Like Billy, who was frozen to the spot, until Ben started making clucking noises like a chicken, and Millie giggled. Billy squared his shoulders and walked into the house. It was darker in there than the evening we'd left behind, and I could just about see my feet and Billy ahead of me. Something ran across one of my trainers, a spider, I realized, and stopped myself yelping in fear just in time. I was still creeped out. It was the biggest spider I had ever seen. Billy had carried on, and I almost could not see him, which bothered me, so I hurried up and accidentally bumped into him. I said sorry. Ben and Millie were laughing and clucking. 
Over Billy's shoulder, I could see a small door. Some kind of a magic door. To a mystical kingdom, perhaps? I kept this thought to myself as well, and Billy opened the door. I followed him through it and found myself heading down very steep steps. It was so dark, I could not see Billy or the next step. I felt like I was stepping into a big, black nothingness every time I moved my foot. My heart was beating really fast, which was bad enough, but now Ben was poking me in the back. Ben, or Millie, did not want to give them the satisfaction of knowing they were winding me up, so did not look back to see who was poking me. I was being cool, ignoring them. Then, one of them pushed me, and I began to fall, and I held my hands out to try and stop myself, and I pushed Billy by accident. And Billy fell forwards into the darkness. There was a banging sound, then silence. I stared down into the darkness, waiting for Billy to say something, or start yelling, or crying, anything. But there was nothing, until I heard Ben and Millie clamor back up the steps. I was too scared to go down into the darkness to find Billy, too scared to stay where I was, so I followed them all the way back along the hall and out into the street where we stood gasping for breath. None of us said anything. We just went home. It was the next day before anyone realized Billy was missing. A few days more before Ben, Millie, and me each found ourselves sitting in a room at our school with our parents and a police officer asking us if we knew where Billy was. We'd already made a pact. The last time we had seen Billy, he had been heading for his house, we said. No, he had not seemed upset. We had seen a strange man in a car, though, earlier that evening. He had been watching us. That particular lie was Ben's idea. I went along. The years that followed were a quiet hell. I was constantly afraid that someone would find Billy in the house, would find Billy's body, and everyone would find out it was our fault. I had a recurring nightmare where I opened my eyes and Billy was lying next to me in my bed and he was asking me why I'd left him. He told me that he wasn't dead, that it wasn't too late if only I would go back and help him. It was too late, though, and the fear crept on through every hour of every day and no one ever went into the house and Billy's body remained undiscovered. I moved away from town when I was 20. I learned to live with what I had done. I still had the nightmare from time to time. I did not stay in touch with Ben or Millie. Last I had heard, they were together, and Millie had miscarried. There was a rumor this was because Ben had punched her, but it was nothing to do with me. There was a promotion on the cards for me. I was going to be a manager by age 30. <laughs> Go me! And all the while, the house stood empty and abandoned. It was a Sunday morning when I saw it advertised online on the realtor's website. I was half asleep, browsing properties that maybe one day I might buy. In five years or so, there was no rush. And then, there it was. I dashed to the bathroom and made it just in time before I was sick. If someone bought the house, my life would be over. Billy would be found. The police would come knocking. I cleaned my teeth to get the taste of sick out of my mouth and splashed water on my face and phoned the realtor and made an appointment for a viewing. I told them I knew the area and preferred to see the house by myself. They didn't need to send someone. 
The person I spoke to sound relieved by this. I did not contact Millie and Ben before I set off on the two-hour drive the next day. They were strangers now, even with our shared secret. I did not trust them. So, it was just me. Slipping between 12 and 30 years of age, seeing the steps in the light of my mobile's torch as I descended into the darkness and reaching the last step. I found myself standing on the stone floor of the basement. The floor was empty just around my feet. Sweat was trickling down my face. I swallowed down bile and moved the beam forward. Billy. I think I said his name out loud when I saw him lying like he was. I'm not sure. I told him I was sorry, and then I started to look for something to carry the bones in. I felt ill, and everything seemed very distant as I moved about the basement. I found some tarpaulin. The thought of touching any of the bones repulsed me, and it took an age for me to wrap the tarpaulin around the bones and then carry it back up the steps. I almost fell, twice. Eventually, I got the tarpaulin into the trunk of my car. Then I walked the route I had carried it three times, checking to see if any bones had fallen out. There were none. I was clear to leave. I drove off. I'd phone the realtor later to tell them I wasn't interested in buying the property after I had found a place to dispose of the bones where no one would ever find them. Then I would go back to being an IT manager, my on-and-off relationship, and the rest. I buried the bones in woodland. I dug a hole and shook out the tarpaulin and tipped them in before covering the hole back over. I dumped the tarpaulin in an alley 30 minutes or so from my apartment. It was filthy and full of other things that had been fly-tipped. I made it home just after 9. It was too late to call the realtor. I'd email them instead in the morning. I showered and put the clothes I had been wearing in a bin bag. I wanted to throw them away as well. I wanted to destroy everything that held me to that house, to Billy, to Ben and Millie, to what had happened on that Halloween night. But I knew I couldn't. I knew the past would follow me to my dying day because of the way Billy's bones had been lying on the floor of the basement. It was clear he had not been killed instantly by the fall, that he had had time to wonder, perhaps, why no one was coming to help. Time to be scared. Time to curl up into a fetal position before he died. For more information on this podcast, including how to submit your own story for consideration, please visit creepypod.com. You can also follow us at creepypod on social media and YouTube. All stories told on this podcast are done so through Creative Commons Sharealike licensing or with written consent from the authors. No portion of this podcast may be rebroadcast or otherwise distributed without the express written consent of the Creepy Podcast Production Team and the story's author. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. 
Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Item number SCP-5186. SCP-7160. SCP-7533. Object class. Euclid. Keter. Safe. Special containment procedures. Spreading across the hemisphere and kicking up vast amounts of ash and dust. <laughs> the only thing I could hear was 7219 <laughs> laughing. Do you remember your name? Counseling. Appointment update. I feel them again. Heartland Counseling. Appointment update. They're in my ears! Heartland Counseling. Appointment update. Nobody understands! SCP Archives is a weekly fiction podcast. Each episode, we dive into the strange, the unknown, and the... Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at scparchives.com.